0: Oh, welcome to chapter 20 the 13th of may uh getting there <laughs> content warnings for this chapter include the long-awaited threatened lobotomy by parasites zombies and zombie abuse horrendous family dynamics in general uh, generally think of this as another mild rob zombie chapter um and we're about there so a slight disclaimer before we start chapter 20 I'm not going to do the accent. The accent appears here, um, and I can't do it, so I'm not going to try. And I found this section really hard to record because it just does. I just can't make it sound right. So I do apologise in advance for that. But yeah, I hope that doesn't take you out of it too much or ruin the enjoyment. Um, if you don't know what older Sussex dialect sounds like, there's a dialect dictionary online. If you just type in like. Um, Sussex Dialect Dictionary. um, It'll come up, which was collected in the late 19th century by um, Reverend Parrish. And that's all online. It's a really good resource. You can also buy the print copy. If you want to know what Sussex dialect sounds like, there's YouTube videos where the accent and the dialect has been recorded. You know, that's that's been preserved. Um, So there are some YouTube videos on my YouTube channel um, where you can hear what that sounds like. So it's like feather instead of father and like, you know, flatter vowels and stuff. But if you want to know what it's supposed to sound like, yeah, just just go on YouTube and have a little listen. Enjoy. Chapter 20. If I can't have you dot 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 in which Guy makes a choice and things get worse. 13th of May. His mother stroked his head humming the same three notes in a minor key. He pressed his head into her palm, eyes still closed, savouring the moment. An obedient tear trickled down his cheek. That's my boy, his mother crooned. That's my good boy. Soup's ready, Letty. Ricky opened his eyes, blinking the salt drops away. He was bound to a chair, which was laughable. His father couldn't hope to restrain him like that. He was too strong for them now. He strained against the bonds, and the pain shot straight into his flesh. Ricky swore violently, earning him a sharp smack around the head from his scandalised mother. Her black mourning veil fluttered over him like a moth. Language, Richard. Ricky gritted his teeth, breathing hard through the stabbing waves in his torso. Sorry, Mum. He clenched his jaw. It ain't right, it hurts. She was there, veil lifted, cheek to cheek. Decay filled his nostrils. Are you going to cry, my lovely good boy? Leak your salt for your mother? He tried not to, but the response was Pavlovian. In return for her rare, affectionate hand, tears spilled down his cheeks despite his attempts to hold them back. The pain eased as she traced a hand over the chains, a proboscis lapping at his tear ducts. That's it. Help your mother get stronger, his father said the closest to approval he ever came. Ricky sniffed, pleading silently. His father was a spindly mass of shadow, but if he concentrated, he could see the older man's form underneath, the dirty string vest over a scrawny breastbone, the long limbs and the evil, watery stare. Don't you bother trying, son, his father said, not unkindly. Granny Wend came to see us. I got you good. Ricky looked down. Shit me, did and all. He was oozing between the chain links. The metal was oiled with something, probably something of Gran's. Could be she didn't trust Mr. Wend or that she was jealous. The why didn't matter. She'd never cared about his parents before, and said he was being precocious, acting out. Let it be. Ricky couldn't remember the last time Granny Wend had even asked about either of them. She was doing this out of spite, not because she cared. I knowed you changed again, his father said. Could tell you got a new skin, no burns, no tattoos, new skin smell. He drew his long nails along the wall, almost back to his old self. You all beautiful at last under there. Thought you could hide it from your own flesh and bone. Ricky looked down at the coils spilling out of his body, chained upon the floor. I am bleeding beautiful and it ain't an it, father, it's me, me, me. Ricky cursed his self-indulgence in staying at Fairwood for so long. His father needed more doses than his mother and more frequently. He'd thought he could avoid them safe at the crows where they couldn't go. He'd tried to change but he couldn't. His father had ripped him open, punctured him, done something. Pain spasmed through his guts, his beautiful coils and he gasped with all his needle-sharp mouths. Look, he gasped, falling into his father's broad accent to calm things down. Things haven't been good worse. I know that i I know it, father, and some of it's all, all along o me. I put my hand up to it. But all I want's a bit of bloody appreciation, and you never listen to me. He hadn't meant to shout, but it burst out from his depths in a loud, guttural snarl. His mother withdrew her hand. His father heard what he wanted to hear. All along a you is right, he said, in his deep, ruminating growl, slipping deep into dialect. It is all along a you that your mother's so ampery. "'He's right, weak and decaying, like cheese she is. "'Feed him, George,' his mother begged. "'Feed him his punishment.' "'Ricky could smell the soup now. "'His punishment meal. "'Bits of his mother were in that soup. "'Bits that would never live long enough to spawn properly, "'but would love to feed on living flesh, living brain, "'before they wriggled their last dance. "'Turn your mind a scrambled egg, they would, "'holy a Swiss cheese, like a foreigner's breakfast.' "'His face prickled with an odd sensation.' Is this what fear feels like? No, 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 hang on. Hold on a minute, father. Father, don't you be doing that. Don't you bleed and dare. Blank as water you'll be, his father gloated, scratching at his string vest. Just remember your own name. My baby boy, come back to me again, crimped his mother. Start all over, we will, and you'll be good as gold. He cricked his neck to seek her out, a looming presence in black lace and shadow. Mum, his guts twisted, I'll be good now, Mum. I'll do what you say. Don't let him do it, Mum, please. Please, Mum, I'll be good as gold. She shook her head. He's lying, George. Listen to him. Why couldn't we have had a girl? Ruby on his lips she'd have. The soft, susurious words cut him deep. You always say that, he hissed down at his chains, scraping the chair on the floor. Fragments of a plan formed, shards of a broken mirror. He breathed through the pain. I'll get you another live girl, mother. I know one. You don't know any girls, his father scoffed. I do. He whipped his head around, the soup getting perilously close to his face now, borne by his father's elastic, clawed hands. Keep away, I'll disremember her. Don't. The bowl paused, tilting towards him. Things bubbled to the surface, every bubble of scum alive with pale, kicking lava legs. If you lie to me, boy, this goes in your face, his father warned, soft and low. They'll wriggle in how they like. Up your nose, through your eyes. He sloshed the bowl on purpose, slopping a little of the living liquid over the rim. Something splashed on the bare skin of his hand. A sharp stab like a horsefly bite told him it was trying to burrow. Gritting his teeth, he shook his hand under the chain that bound his wrist to the wooden chair arm, the burning spreading where the metal protested. Behind him, his mother gave a soft little giggle, not unlike his own. Let me loose, he shouted. Let me loose, I'll go and get her for you. His father chuckled. He thinks we're stupid, Letty. He's not lying, George. He ain't lying, no, but he ain't coming back. You bet he ain't. Ricky swallowed as the wriggling soup spot finally plopped off his hand onto the floor, unsuccessful, and lay there like a flat yellow tick. She's got yellow hair, he said. His mother went silent. Let me go. I'll go get her. Will you bring her here? His father asked. Careful. I'll tell her you want to meet her. She's curious. The soup moved closer to his lips. He could smell the wriggling bits trying to find sustenance before they died. The contents of the bowl were humped at one end now, closest to him, even though the bowl was level. Not my mind, not my mind, don't take that. His father wasn't buying it, but his mother might. She's pretty, mum, you'll like her. Bright as a button she is, yellow hair, soft skin, smells of sugar and summer. "'He's not lying, George,' his mother whispered, and he could hear the longing in her voice. "'Oh, George, please, please get me a girl. It's been so long since—' He felt the tug in his chest before he heard the knock on the door. "'Shit me, she isn't. I never did that, I never.' He tried to twist his neck to see, but he couldn't. The bowl, at least, was withdrawn— his mother was at the window, he could hear the lace against the neck curtain. Today was the last day, the day he'd seen the guts of the blue moon girl. It was going to be his fault after all. "'Oh, George!' his mother breathed, staring through the grimy glass at the visitor standing outside. "'She's perfect!' Carrie played with the pendant of her necklace as she waited outside Bramble Cottage for an answer. A piece of brick was in her pocket this time, a kind of protective talisman. She had considered taking a knife with her or a hammer, but the avatar was probably enough on its own. What did you actually see, she thought, knocking the door. He disappeared. One minute he was burning, Gerald. Then he was gone. Carrie rolled her eyes, running the pendant along the chain. I hope this isn't going to be awful, she murmured out loud. The door opened. Carrie looked up at a middle-aged man in a string vest, took in his full lips and wide straight nose, clearly a porter, clearly Ricky's father. Long, sinewy arms drooped down his sides, a lit cigarette between two fingers. We don't buy at the door. I'm not selling anything. Carrie caught a glimpse of the cottage behind him, swept clean, bright, airy. No reek of decay or rot hit her, although she'd been braced for it. I'm... I'm a friend of your son's. I'm... Caroline. Our son don't have no friends, George Porter told her, dipping his balding head. What are you really here for? Carrie sighed, taking a leaf out of the soothsayer's playbook and telling the selective truth. Ricky said to drop by. He said he'd um do a bone reading for me. Did he? What you given him? He hasn't seen me before, Carrie realised. He doesn't know who I am. No, of course not. They'd been upstairs, ill or something. Carrie revelled in the ironic anonymity. Um, he said the first one was free, like smack. She watched George Porter's face. Slowly, George stepped back from the door. He's not in, but you're welcome to come in and wait. Carrie smiled and stepped into a very different space. The cottage was clean, fixed up. The stench was gone. Some of it may have been Gerald, but Carrie couldn't even smell mould. A wooden chair was pulled out from the table and facing away from it, which struck her as odd. Letty, there's a girl here, George announced in his gruff drawl. Caroline. Carrie turned. Letty Porter was a small, petite woman standing by the window in a long, black dress. Her brown hair was thin and lank. "'scraped back in a bun with a few stray threads hanging down her gaunt cheeks. "'She regarded Carrie with wide brown eyes, full lips parted happily. "'Apart from the height difference, "'Carrie could have mistaken her and her husband for twins. "'Caroline! What a beautiful name!' "'Carrie had honestly been expecting more tentacles "'and hoped her surprise didn't show. "'Are you Ricky's mother? Mrs. Porter?' Yes, but call me Letty, dear, please. Letty Porter also had the porter nose, Carrie noted. Thinner lips, but the cheekbones reminded her of Mrs. Wend. He won't be long. He doesn't live here any more, Carrie thought, glancing at George Porter smoking in the corner. He hasn't lived here for a week at least, two. All his stuff is gone. Gerald is gone. Her gut told her to get out, and she listened. That's okay, I can come back. Oh no, stay, Letty Porter entreated. You're just in time for soup. Carrie spotted a bowl on the table that she hadn't noticed before. I'm, thank you, but I've eaten. She sensed George moving around the edge of the room, circling her. He was putting himself between her and the door. Carrie plunged her hand into her pocket and rubbed a piece of brick. Everything was wrong. There was wallpaper on the walls, the neck curtains were clean. The chair, turned to face the wall instead of the table, kept drawing her attention, and she didn't know why. "'Bloody hell, piss off, love!' Carrie heard it, punching into her head. It wasn't her thought. She wondered if she could get out of a window. "'Sorry, can I use your toilet?' "'Upstairs,' George pointed upwards. First on the left. There's water in the cistern. Letty, did you fill the bucket, woman?' "'Yes, George,' Letty murmured, meek. "'If you could refill the cistern afterwards, dear, we'd be obliged, wouldn't we, George?' "'Obliged,' George Porter repeated, scratching his vest. "'Trouble with the water.' Carrie nodded and climbed up. The boards creaked heavily underfoot. "'This isn't real,' she realised. "'None of this is.' She paused at the top of the stairs, confronted by a narrow landing and a flat wall. To the right was a bedroom door ajar with an old-fashioned single-bed frame in it and not much else. Curious, she pushed the door open a little further, but there was nothing to see.' It was austere, devoid of furniture, except for the iron bed frame. The window was barred on the inside. "'Ricky's old room?' She turned and went left, not trusting the floorboards, although they looked and felt pretty solid. The bathroom was pokey and narrow, a toilet and sink and an ancient tin bath hanging on the walls straight out of the forties. A metal pail of water, apparently drawn from the pump outside, was positioned under the sink. The room was spotlessly clean, but Carrie didn't trust her senses and couldn't put her finger on why.' It had no window. She made a point of slamming the bathroom door, but crept out into the room next door, the last of the only three rooms upstairs. This was Letty and George's bedroom, a neat counterpane on the double bed, pillows plumped innocently against the wrought iron headboard. There was a dresser and a wardrobe, but nothing personal. Carrie crept around, fairwood giving her a sixth sense for creaking floorboards that might give her away, and made it to the mullioned window. It lifted up. She knew that from the night of Janet's attack. She unscrewed the mechanism, keeping it closed, and heaved. It wouldn't budge. She tried again. Come on, get on with it. Not my thought. She heaved again, but the window was stuck. What's taking her so long? I'm trying, Carrie growled under her breath and stopped. She turned, whispering as loud as she dared. Ricky? At least it ain't my fault I didn't bring her here. Her choice to come. Carrie tiptoed back to the bathroom, flushed the toilet and tipped the contents of the bucket into the cistern, as requested, and came back down the stairs, empty bucket in hand. "'Thanks.' She wiped her hands down her jeans, as if drying them. "'I'm from next door, by the way.' George and Letty were together, their backs to the front door. The chair, that oddly placed chair, had moved. Only a fraction, but it was now at a slight angle. "'What?' Letty Porter's voice had a mellifluous quality, and for a moment her face was obscured as if by a dark mist. Carrie blinked and it faded, twisting through an angle with a wave of vertigo. She winced, frowning. I own the crows. The world twisted. Carrie rocked through an angle in space, the cottage bending in front of her as her revelation caused George Porter to lose concentration. The shapes of Ricky's parents morphed in front of her, Carrie stumbled sideways against a patch of black mould on the wall. She pulled away, inhaling the reek she remembered. What the pest are you doing here? Ricky yelled at her, a bloody chained mess in the kitchen chair. Carrie gasped, shrinking away. Oh my God! What happened to you? The cottage snapped back and the mould disappeared beneath a skin of tight, clean wallpaper. Ricky was gone. "'This is how forensics never find anything,' Carrie mumbled, numb with shock. "'Isn't it? This isn't real. "'I don't know what you're doing, but this isn't real, is it?' "'She judged the distance of the door, "'but didn't fancy her chances against whatever George and Letty actually were. "'Ricky was bad enough, or rather the thing he really was, "'under that tight human skin, that towering whirlwind of coils "'and slavering mouths and thousands and thousands of eyes, "'all wrapped in a tracksuit. "'She started to laugh, like she had in the hospital the night Grandpa Jim died.' You're all mad, she said, shoulder shaking. Your whole family, you're all fucking insane. I like her, George, Letty Porter whispered, not taking her eyes off Carrie. Can we keep this one? I want her. Carrie bit down on her lip but couldn't help it. Mrs. Porter, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but your son's an asshole." She regained control, snorted, and shook her head. Did you know you, you, you ate my ex boyfriend? He fed you my ex in a pie. God, sorry, sorry, I don't know why that's so funny. It's not funny. She swallowed another snort. It's not funny. She stopped. You haven't offered me any tea. Letty and George looked at each other. George? Go boil a kettle, Letty. The cottage slipped back into how it actually was, a reeking shell in the woods, and the vertigo sensation rocked her back against the mould patch on the wall. Letty Porter, fully veiled and solemn in black, slid off to the kitchen around the bloody body of her chained son. George Porter, in his string vest, a four-limbed tarantula of a man, watched her with baleful intensity guarding the door. "'Don't eat the soup,' Ricky warned her, spitting a blood clot on the floor. Carrie sobered, staring at him. "'What? What have you done now?' "'Oh, that's bloody charming!' Ricky nodded down to his shredded torso, thick cables of coils spilling onto the floor from his open intestines and chained in place of his legs. She couldn't tell whether humans stopped or started or how any of him held together. "'You call me an arsehole in front of my dear old mother, then you assume this is my fault? Well, fuck me very much, thanks a bloody lot.' "'Richard!' his mother hissed from the kitchen. Ricky went red. "'Look at me, woman, I'm torn to shit and chained to a bloody chair. Give me a break.' His mother hissed around the door but said nothing else. Poisoned us, he did. George gave her a wary look. That's what our lad's done. Been doing it for years, not that anyone cares. All over a toy, if you believe it. You should see his poor mother, the state of a... Wild he was, wild. Drugs, drink, you name it. A bloody embarrassment till he started taking his gifts seriously. He shot his son a glare and spat on the filthy floor. He's a man as ain't no account at all, we're not for that. Ricky rolled his eyes, but his cheeks burned an ugly crimson. George glanced from his son to the stranger by the stairs. Carrie sensed he was unsure and took her chance. There was no way she would get by him. Those arms, dear God, those claws. But she might be able to get out of the bedroom window now she was seeing what was really there, or find another way out. She might break something in the fall, but it was worth a risk, wasn't it? She jerked into action and sprinted up the stairs. George Porter was too slow. His claws raked the wall at the top of the stairs as she feared left across the rotten boards of the landing, trying not to see what the bathroom really looked like, and bowled her way into the master bedroom, slamming the door on those grasping, multi-jointed hands. Carrie heaved at the nearest heavy item of furniture, a chest of drawers, and rammed it against the door without looking at what had been leaning against it. The girl's corpse hit the floor like a broken puppet, nailed to the wall by one arm. "'Oh, shit!' Carrie backed into the middle of the bedroom. Another girl was sat at the cracked vanity mirror in the later stages of decay. They may have been pretty once. They had been dressed up like dolls in old-fashioned dresses, dusty hair in careful arrangements as if someone had been playing with them. The source of the smell was now sickeningly apparent. Carrie fought the nausea, no time for that, and pushed the seated girl off her stool. She threw the stool at the window, in this reality not mullioned at all, but a single pane, cracked and dirty, and it shattered with a satisfying crash of glass. Something grabbed her ankle. Carrie looked down. Another dead girl was gripping her with dry, hungry fingers, broken neck twisted up, and mouth working furiously as she tried to pull herself closer. Shit! Carrie kicked the zombie girl in the head, shook her off, and stumbled backwards. Three others, decaying into the walls and crawling with insect larvae, were jolting slowly awake following her progress. One reached out from its slumped position in a corner, surrounded by tatty-embroidered cushions but couldn't move. Carrie froze. Her plan disappeared. She stood rooted to the spot as she had done in her hallway the night Janet broke in, unable to think, unable to move. Another tried to claw at her from the chair it was arranged in, thin, dark hair curled and lacquered in place go the one on the floor was scrabbling slowly at the floorboards but wasn't coming after her she flinched back but her thoughts were a mess leave my lovely girls alone letty porter whispered through the keyhole the whisper chilled her startling her into action carrie blurted out the first thing that came to her head if you come in here i'll 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 destroy them with what for fuck's sake the door rattled the chest of drawers jerked think why can't i bloody think I mean it, Mrs Porter, Carrie said, her, high, her voice high and strained. There was a rattling gasp from the one in the nest of cushions drawing her attention. Carrie realised why it couldn't move, slotting together the details she had noted before. Oh, my God, have you nailed them all down? Had to, Letty Porter murmured. Post-mortem, though, right? Carrie backed up, her legs finally remembering how to move, albeit without much input from her brain. There was a baffled silence, Carrie rephrased. I mean, after they were dead. One of the zombie girls groaned at her. They kept running away, crying for their other mothers, Letty whispered sadly. Why should other mothers have such lovely little girls? Her tone hardened. He gets jealous of my girls. Takes them from me, he does, for his little rituals and rites. I try to keep them me, but he spoils it, jealous and grateful child. Carrie didn't want to get into this. The scale of the porter's disordered family life was getting to her. You lot need therapy or a lobotomy. The zombie nailed to the floor through her thigh bones, moaned in what Carrie imagined was agreement. Yeah, what she said. She shrugged off her jacket, bawling it around her fist to protect herself and knocked out the rest of the window glass. The door rattled again. It was a long way down. Carrie pulled out the brick chip and tossed it first you better catch me, she told it, as the chest of drawers thudded out of the way and the door slammed open. She closed her eyes and squeezed out, shards raking her forearms and tumbled awkwardly into the garden below. Her stomach flip-flopped as she plummeted, like a bad dream. Fairwood caught her. You were doing fine, Fairwood said, backing away from the cottage of horrors. Thanks. Carrie wriggled free of her house's grasp and cast a look at the downstairs window. He's in a bad way. Should we... Fairwood gave her a look. "'Don't look at me like that,' Carrie said, breathless, ducking behind Fairwood's doppelganger form as George Porter leaned out of the broken window. Adrenaline coursed through her like a drug. "'He's... it seems a bit ungrateful to leave him there. "'Watch out!' A natural claws raked at the avatar, or tried to. They got as far as an inch from Fairwood's head and there was a sizzling sound like frying sausages. George Porter shrieked, and the shadowy elastic talons withdrew. "'Oh!' Carrie folded her arms. Protection still applies. Good to know. If she wasn't careful, she'd start laughing again like a madwoman in a melodrama. She wouldn't be able to stop and they'd lock her in an attic and she'd spend her days trapped there with only dead girls to play with like Letty Porter. A dark giggle bubbled out and she fought it down. Go, Fairwood advised, pushing her towards the wall. Carrie didn't need telling twice. Leaving Fairwood to deal with Ricky Porter, she jumped over the garden wall and tore through the chase towards her own boundary line. Life was bearable again, numbed. Guy stood on the back lawns looking up at the crows, the casements and guttering, the attic gable high above like an unseeing eye. There was no movement from within, he had circled it twice to make sure. Burn it down. He had to break a window, throw in the bottle, light the rag. Not in that order. He'd never set a fire before. Where did you start one? Through the letterbox, but the crows didn't have one. Had to be through a window. "'He played with a lighter in his pocket. "'He'd had to buy one, didn't smoke. "'Guy had lost track of the time. "'The light was still golden, still warm. "'Fairwood House was an icon of his childhood, "'the star of his made-up stories, "'the villain they'd all pretended to defeat. "'It was bricks and mortar, that was all, "'but it called to him, one broken thing to another. "'He couldn't remember when he'd first become aware of it, "'when the light glinting off the glass first became a signal, "'when its aura became palpable, magnetic.' It had only gotten stronger as he'd gotten older. Burn it down. He squinted, shaking his head. The bottle sloshed at his side. He steeled himself, lighter half out of his pocket, when a shout caused him to turn. Shit. She was running across the lawns, Caroline, Carrie, cardigan off one shoulder, face red. She knew. She must know. No time. Bitch. He tugged the lighter out, gripping it hard in his clammy palm. Guy she jogged to a panting halt some metres away, doubling over. Guy, letty Porters, ha, shes, shes batchit crazy. She needs serious help. He squeezed the lighter harder. What? I was just, I came to see you. Carrie shook her head, straightening, glancing over her shoulder. They, they've got Ricky tied to a chair, and she's got dead girls in, in the bedroom, zombies nailed to the, God, nailed to stuff. The walls, the floor, their seats. She got her breath back. I wanted to get him out, but... She stopped, looking back at him, seeing him properly. What are you doing here? Are you okay? After last night, I... Just came over, he repeated, trying to make sense of what she was telling him, where she'd been. Why couldn't she leave things alone? We should... We should call the police or something, Carrie said. Shouldn't we? Guy caught himself reeling, unsteady. No. What for? Oh, they'll do that switch thing. Carrie tugged her cardigan around her more closely, half-turning again to stare into the trees. It's so weird. Like I was in another, another version of the house, like a parallel world or something. Even they were different. It's dimensional phasing. Guy rubbed his thumb over the top of the lighter. Most of them can do it. She was looking at him in a way he didn't like, but he couldn't put his finger on why. Too many questions behind her eyes. Like his dad... "'What about the girls? The families must must be going mad.' "'She only takes runaways,' Guy heard himself saying, before his brain caught up with his mouth. "'She doesn't like it if they have families to get back to.' Carrie dropped her arms to her sides. "'What?' "'There's no point,' Guy said. "'They never find them. They never find anything.' "'No. What? She only takes runaways? What? How do you know that?' He took a step towards her, the bottle knocking against his leg. Carrie backed away. You knew? He didn't have time for this. He had to burn it down like Beverly wanted. You knew? Does everyone know? Does everyone just know everything? Carrie shook her head. Fuck! Am I the only one making a fuss? So don't make a fuss, Guy said. Now her eyes travelled to the bottle in his hand, his closed fist what are you doing? His nerves snapped. Before she could react, he lunged forward, striking her across the head and knocking her to the ground. If you're enjoying the podcast um, and you don't want to buy the books, that's fine. Um, If you'd like to support me on Ko-fi though and just drop a tip in the jar, you can do that instead. And that's uh, that's www.ko-fi.com forward slash CM Rosens. It would be much appreciated.